Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, hosted by Brian Castle. Brian has been a financial advisor for over 35 years and is the founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago. He will be sharing the most important investment opportunities out there in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. Brian will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, on to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to the four-star Today's Market Explained podcast. This is our first episode for the year of 2023, so we're excited. Uh, we're glad to get 2022 over with. Uh, Chris, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. welcome to be in uh, the new year in 2023. Yes. So anyway, folks, uh, um, today we will do our normal uh, regular review of where we stand and a preview of 2023. Um, I'm Brian Castle, founder and CEO of Four Star, Eagle Scout, trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation, advisor to CEOs and insiders and chief dad to Quinn and Evan uh, and husband to the amazing Trippy. And with me again, of course, is our director of development, Mr. Christopher, Christopher Reardon. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. Glad to talk a little bit about the markets this start off the new year. And Chris is our master of all things portfolio reports, uh, still loves his Cleveland Indians. Uh, he's <laughs> a caretaker of the new gold, the golden doodle puppy. And uh, of course, a, a large and growing family over there, Chris. So uh, congratulations on all that. Welcome to the podcast. And why don't we get started? Sounds good. Uh, just remind everybody, if you like what you're hearing, please tell your friends, send them a copy of this, and then also uh, give us a five out of five on the ranking that helps our rankings and helps us get up there. Uh, we will start uh, with markets, the economy, and then what generally what we see out there. And uh, we've talked uh, for a number of years about uh, the reach of the podcast. We're starting to reach a lot of areas, and we've been heard on six continents, but the seventh continent, Chris, is Antarctica, and we still have never been heard from anybody in Antarctica, but now we know a number of people this year that are going to Antarctica. So this will be the year, Chris, that we are heard on Antarctica. Just gotta hope you can get some cell signal or Wi-Fi down there. That's right. <laughs> so we'll see. So 2022 was a year to end. It was the worst year in the stock market since the very, very bad year in the Great Recession of 2008, uh, with the markets being down dramatically. We'll cover that in just a little, just a minute on the details. But Chris, what what is the positioning of the markets look like right now? What's in the lead? Well, what what's relative strength positive today? Yep. So coming into 2023 now, we have cash in the lead position still. Uh, so still a defensive market that would indicate. Um, but interestingly enough, we have international equities in the number two position, and it's gained five points since the last podcast. It's at 207 tally points. Um, so you know, cash is at 235. Still a bit of a gap there, but um, you know, if that gap starts to close, that's something we would note um, as international equities potentially uh, taking that number one position. Uh, and then in three and the three and four position, we actually have pretty much a tie. Three officially uh, is commodities, which did jump international or uh, domestic equities, I should say. Um, so it moved into that third position. It's at 181 uh, since the last podcast and equal. Uh, but the reason I say it's a tie for the most part is domestic equities, which is in the fourth position, is at 178. So really right there. They're pretty much neck and neck. 
I know it's minus seven since the last podcast. So a little bit of a pullback uh, in domestic equities. And then fixed income is in fifth, um, relatively muted. It was minus one at 159 since the last podcast. And currencies still in the sixth and last position. Uh, it gained three points and is at 131. So um, really, I would say the uh, movement and news has really been in the top four positions, fixed income and currencies have, for the most part, been relatively muted uh, for 2022 and um, now to start 2023. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens in the one through four positioning uh, moving forward and, and to start really 2023 now in the first quarter. Well, it's interesting to see the changes, Chris. You know, cash is still number one. That's a bear market. But international stocks have been out of favor for a long time, and those are starting to move up in, in position number two. And then commodities had faded, and now they are rallying a little bit here, back up to position number three. But U.S. stocks continue to fade. And we've had a really great run with U.S. stocks for a long time. But this year, last year, 2022, is obviously terrible. And this year, uh, you know, looks like it you know, could be initially terrible, and then hopefully it rallies near the end of the year. At least that's the, that's the hope. <clears throat> Certainly, um, market's been very choppy here in the first couple of weeks of the year. Big up day, a couple of big down days. Yesterday was a down day. So um, we'll see where it goes. The interesting thing, though, Chris, is we're definitely in a bear market. And normally, uh, bonds are usually much higher ranked because bonds are usually a place where people go for safety. But because interest rates have been spiked so, so high and so quickly, that fixed income had its worst year ever in 2022, and it's ranked number five and not looking like it's moving too fast anywhere too soon. Uh, what a shame. Although if folks uh, do own bonds, uh, bonds are generally lower volatility. I can't speak for last year, but if you hold on to individual bonds, the bonds should mature, assuming there's no credit issues. So you should be fine. It's the holders of bond funds that might have a hard time if the, if the fund is trading and, and, and moving those positions around a lot. Maybe the fund doesn't get all the way back up to what you paid for it, <clears throat> unfortunately, but certainly individual bonds would. So um, the fixed income areas you know, might be a place to look at now. Since rates are higher, you can capture a good yield. And if rates do go lower, which is what's predicted, once a recession is over, then uh, you could have a gain in your bonds too. So bonds might be an attractive investment, even though they're ranked number five right now. The trends are negative, but they could turn positive. So um, uh, interesting, Chris. So we'll see how this shakes out. We started the year in a very strange position. We're clearly not in a bull market. Uh, we're, we're in a bear market. Maybe we're finishing the bear market. Maybe we're near the bottom. Uh, we don't know, but we'll certainly keep a watch on and keep everybody informed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely a little different kind of than the market we had coming into 2022. I believe domestic equities was still the number one. And it was kind of still a booming market. Uh, we still had inflation kind of underlying, but it wasn't um, the headline that it reached kind of more in the spring um, when we had the um, early spring, I should say, and, and late winter uh, when the Fed did start, you know, saying they would raise interest rates. So, you know, that kind of predicated the, the market, current market we're in. Um, and what drove that is the high inflation numbers, things like that. So very different market from a year ago. Um, you know, we'll see where it'll be interesting to see where we are in a year from now. Uh, but we are for certain in a, in a bear market now. Um, and, you know, we'll have to see what the year gives. So last year was a big down year and there was huge tax loss selling at the end of the year. So any stock that was down a lot and many of them were technology 
experienced some severe selling in the last bit of December. Uh, Tesla, for example, which is the darling of, of everyone's stock portfolio up until last year, was down over 70%, 75% at one point, uh, and then lots of tax loss selling. Now we're starting to see some bounces in some of those technology names. We'll see if those bounces hold, whether they're just temporary and then they go lower. Uh, but you know, we've seen a lot of carnage. The S&P 500 was down 19.4% for 2022. The Russell 1000 value, which is the dividend stocks, down only 7.54. But the NASDAQ, which is tech-heavy NASDAQ index, was down 33.5%. And anyone who's had a technology portfolio would be down much, much more than that because uh, many people concentrated in tech because it was so good. But you know things do turn sour as they as they often do, and that's what happened to the technology. That's what happened in the in in the other tech crash back in in the 1999 you know 2000 2001 period. Same thing where it was the hottest 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 thing, and all of a sudden it all totally collapsed. And then the Barclays Ag Index, which is uh, the kind of the broadest space bond index, was down 13.01 percent. So, and there was a lot of bond categories that were down more than that. So uh, not a great year for the bond market. They've never seen a double digit down year for the bond market, by the way. So that was very, very difficult. Um, and we um, obviously were in a mode of protection, Chris. So uh, last year, um, we've had a number of portfolios that had our four-star protection program. Our dynamic account was down about a percent. Uh, the U.S. sector portfolio was down about 11%, and growth in income moderate down about three. So we had a lot of protection built into those portfolios. And that's really all you can do in a bad market. You know, maybe you can trade inverses and do different things to try and make money in a bear market. But certainly the most important thing is to avoid loss. 85% of the time, the markets are going up. And, and usually you can make good money then. But when the market's in correction or outright panic, like it was last year, you want to try to avoid loss. And that, that's our objective, certainly, when we go through that. Um, what else did you see in the market, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think that we saw a resurgence of commodities last year as well. Um, you know, especially in the spring, it kind of muted out a little bit towards the end of the year. But uh, we saw a major resurgence in commodities as scarcity, as, as um, you know, countries were opening. We had kind of the first official summer with a lot of travel. Um, you had a lot of people wanting to get out after a lot of these COVID lockdowns. So we, with that, we saw a resurgence of people traveling. Uh, so oil kind of spiked. We saw industrial metals, things like that. And it's funny, kind of at the tail end of it, we're seeing precious metals because now with with um, you have interest rates rising, it's more of a currency market, if you will, uh, going on now. So we're seeing precious metals play a little bit more of a um, a role nowadays. So it's really been commodities front and center, I would say in 2023, and they still are playing a big um, role. In. And we see that a lot when we have international markets, even in the first, because as emerging markets, things like that, uh, most people think of China when you think of emerging markets, if they're really, you know, if their markets are really hot and they're, they're moving forward, they're growing a lot, they're building a lot, um, they're utilizing a lot of commodities. So uh, that could be reflected coming into 2023. Uh, we'll just have to kind of wait and see. Well, in commodities, when they run, they run hard and they run fast, but they're very, very volatile. So anybody who's investing in commodities needs to be careful while they're doing it. Uh, our dynamic portfolio had a very good year because of the commodity market, um, but uh, there are times when it, it you know bit back too. 
and the markets were really uh, volatile in a month or so. We'd have a bad month and then it would come roaring back. So you have to be very, very careful when you're investing in commodities. And we had not had any commodities since as, as long as 2015, just for a short time. And then the last real good commodity year prior to 2022 was 2010. So quite a long time ago. So um, commodities are not something that most folks invest in. And also, if you're in commodities, um, you know, be, be very careful because of the volatility. And if we're in commodities too long, that means it's bad for the economy, because if commodity prices keep going up, those are the input costs to uh, lend to manufacturing and food and everything else. So commodities uh, being good as an asset class for a long period of time isn't actually great for the for the markets. In the short run, it's fine, but uh, you know, you get more than a year or two, then we have a real problem in the economy for sure. Yeah, it's a drag kind of on the markets. Exactly. So, so last year was the worst market since, since 2008 when the S&P was down 38.5. Um, and the good news though is, you know, market is usually going upward uh, 85% of the time, as I mentioned. So the 15% of the time we went through part of it last year, maybe we're going through a little bit more, but the, the nice thing is that don't it, it's easy to forget when you're in this kind of position like we are right now, but bad markets are not perpetual. Bad markets will turn around. Everyone remembers the Great Recession where the markets cratered badly and ended on March 9th, 2009 was the low. And eventually it started going up and we had a very good decade after that. So um, th this will not persist forever. So if you um, are able to invest um, and you have a long-term perspective, this might not be a bad time to be an investor since the market prices are lower. So um, what do you say, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think that markets are cyclical. I think that that's something that people have kind of forgotten a little bit because, you know, we, we've been in this almost a bull market, really. When we've had bear markets, it's been for a quarter, very small, uh, sharp bear markets that have corrected fairly quickly. So we've never really seen a drawn out bear market. And, and that's more of the standard. So, you know, I think it's important to, for people to keep in mind that markets are cyclical. It is healthy uh, for a market to go into a bear market. Um, it's kind of the natural order of things. So, um, you know, we don't know how long the bear market will last, but um, it certainly will, you know, you know, do its go, go through its course. And, you know, hopefully in a year or, or two or less, uh, we'll kind of be at the bottom and, and start that, that bull market back upwards. Yes. Well, and one, one interesting aspect of what we've been through since interest rates are rising, at least now, all bonds in the world are at a positive yield. As folks might remember, uh, many countries in Europe and Japan were at negative interest rates. The United States markets never went to negative interest rates. Uh, but as rates have been spiking upward, uh, led by uh, the Fed and the European Union, uh, now rates are higher. So all bond yields are positive. The Bank of Japan was the last one to go above zero. So now even Japan, a company, a country with some very difficult demographics, uh, is now also at positive interest rates. So uh, I've always said that's a good thing for savers. Um, if interest rates would go a little bit higher, then savers wouldn't have to take as much risk in stocks and other other asset classes to get a return. If you could buy an interest-bearing security and get uh, at least some interest, now the uh, the, the money markets are paying 4%. The, the two-year treasuries are paying just above 4%. Uh, so there's some opportunities there to get some interest, which is good. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a renormalization, right? I mean, and that, that's important. 
Um, we were during that the last you know decade, almost 20 years, like for, for Japan specifically, 20 years, you know, we've been kind of stuck in this zero interest, hyper growth environment. And they've been able to get away with that because we haven't seen inflation rear its head. Um, and now we're seeing that, um, you know, obviously inflation is not a good thing, but what it has caused is almost a renormalization of the market uh, for them to raise interest rates to kind of choke off a little bit of, of that monetary supply and uh, bring in some of that inflation. Well, and the Federal Reserve used to allow the economy to uh, cycle around a little bit, recession, growth, back and forth. Uh, but then it became almost after the liquidity regimes and, and the quantitative easings of the 2008-2009 period, then it became almost like an elixir where the Fed didn't want to uh, raise rates. They wanted to keep money cheap and keep the economy going. So as long as money is free and, and cheap, uh, then the economy keeps going and that's how they kept it going. But then you keep interest rates, rates at zero for a long period of time, eventually uh, you'll have to pay the piper. Eventually that all breaks down. And that's what we have been seeing here in 2022. Eventually they pay the price and the Fed had to raise rates very, very sharply. So it's been a very difficult year. Um, we've been in a recession basically all year. Um, and we're now in 2022. Now we're facing hopefully uh, not a terrible recession, but certainly a recession in 2023. Then the market will discount that in advance. <clears throat> Pardon me, the market will discount that in advance. And then eventually, hopefully the market is bottomed right in the middle of that negative news and starts anticipating the recovery and starts going up. But um, certainly, uh, you know, it's been a very difficult time and you know, we're expecting a recession coming up. Yeah, well, and I think that the key is, uh, you, you see this terminology thrown around is an earnings recession. Uh, and that's probably the next stage, if you will, of this is um, we're gonna start getting earnings, I think starting this week. Um, and most likely those will start to tend to be a little worse. Um, if not this quarter, next quarter. Uh, and so that will, I think, kind of start um, the next kind of stage. Uh, and then the markets are going to kind of renormalize from the price in what those, you know, uh, earnings declines were. They'll set that base level and start to hopefully move up from there. Yes. Well, now the Fed is still increasing interest rates. So we'll talk a little bit about that. The Fed is expected to in increase interest rates here for the next couple of months and and end in March. That's what the Fed has been saying. But Chris, isn't the market signaling that the interest rate increases are over? Yeah. So um, where this is really seen is kind of in the U.S. dollar. Uh, so if they are seen as um, raising interest, interest rates more, we're going to see a stronger dollar. Uh, if they think that they're, they're done raising interest rates, usually we see the dollar start to weaken. So uh, the U.S. dollar index actually touched a seven-month low uh, preview earlier this week at 102.93, and that's first kind of a basket of other currencies. Um, so what we've seen more is, is speculators come out saying, you know, if they're going to have to raise it all, it's going to be very, very small or not at all. Um, you know, from the uh, dollar from interest rate standpoint. So it'll it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And that, that has already caused this week, I know, some volatility in the market uh, because when the Federal Reserve or any member of the Federal Reserve comes out and makes any comments, the market reads it as either hawkish or dovish. And then we see that volatility kind of uh, filter through the markets on that day. So, you know, if it tends to be a hawkish, uh, maybe we'll see the markets go down. And hawkish would mean that they're going to potentially raise interest rates more aggressively uh, than expected or, or more than expected. Um, whereas dovish would be 
um, that they're not going to raise interest rates more. It's going to be less than expected. So uh, what that really plays is then the weakening dollar uh, that would allow, um, you know, maybe more breathing room for other countries, things like that. So uh, it'll be interesting. I, I'd say that's one of the unknowns coming into this year, what the Federal Reserve is going to do uh, on that mark. And that's going to have a big impact, uh, especially in the first quarter, I would say. Well, and the Fed has been saying they're trying to engineer a soft landing, but the, the rate of their increases almost lead to, uh, it's almost impossible to engineer a, sm- a soft landing. And uh, certainly the Fed increases are attempting to ward off inflation, which is their number one target right now, but it'll also you know, cause declines in the economy. Uh, we're seeing a lot of really, uh, really difficult numbers in the economy right now. Uh, Chris, you had a number on jobless claims, right? Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, the labor market in the U.S. is in a really kind of interesting place because uh, the jobless claims came out for the final week of 2022, and the jobless claims fell by 19,000 uh, to a seasonally adjusted 204,000. Um, so that would that and and people look at that and they actually they say, all right, well, the job market is really strong. Uh, so the Federal Reserve has more room to raise rates. That's kind of what the read a lot of people get off of that. Uh, but on top of that, we're also seeing, especially in the tech sector, we've talked about this a little bit, is layoffs and, and monumental layoffs. Amazon came out and announced they're going to lay off nearly 18,000 employees or 6% of their workforce. Uh, Coinbase actually this morning, I think, came out and said they're going to lay off 20% of their workforce. I know Salesforce is doing another large layoff. So um it's this really interesting market uh, where we still do have a tight labor market. And I don't think we're going to see um, like jobless rates skyrocket just because we still do have a tight mar- labor market and, and just the way that that the demographics skew. Um, and on top of that, wages for workers who are staying in their jobs are up 5.5%. Um, this was in November year over year, uh, which is up from 3.7% year over year in, in January. So what we're seeing is companies are willing to pay for, um, you know, employees that are obviously, you know, saying that they're doing a great job. Uh, but we're also seeing a lot of uh, unnecessary spending being cut, especially in tech companies. And we're seeing that kind of the initial salvo, if you will, of, of um, probably a, a jump to that jobless number. Yes. On, on top of that, U.S. small business confidence fell to 89.8 last month. That's the lowest since June. And that's also the 12th straight month. Uh, the index was below the 49-year average of 98. So uh, we still have businesses confidence-wise is still uh, obviously historically low, I would say. Major concerns include inflation and the tight labor market, um, which are two major things we just highlighted. Um, the U.S. trade deficit shrank in November, so imports declined 6.4% and exports were uh, declined 2%. So both declined. I would say the biggest impact there was oil um, on the export front. Imports, uh, the strong dollar had a, had a um, major impact in just the pullback in consumer spending. Personal spending increased only 0.1% in November from October, so we're starting to see that slowdown. Uh, we would expect to see that potentially slow down even a little bit more uh, the next uh, December, November to December number we see. And then the um, personal consumption expenditures price index uh, rose 5.5% year over year in November, uh, which was a slight cool off from a 6.1% year over year num- um, October number. So um, that's kind of a proxy, if you will, for inflation. Um, 
that are one of the reads people look at for inflation. So that would target that. We are seeing that inflation number start to creep down uh, slowly, which is positive on that front. That is good. Well, and, and uh, U.S. imports are down 6.4 percent. Uh, U.S. exports are down 2 percent as well. Uh, so um, everything seems to be slowing down. And a lot of the positive numbers for 2022 were mostly positive in the first half and have been starting to turn negative in the second half. So uh, trends negative across the board. Um, one of the issues for the housing, we, we've all, or, or not housing, the, the uh, job market we've seen is that there are still many people that are not working. So they've done an analysis of the, the, the labor market, the labor force participation rate is, is, uh, is lower than normal uh, than we would think would be in this kind of this time in an economic cycle. And part of the reason is that there's still many benefits coming through. So as we went through the COVID regime, uh, many of the states uh, you know, offered benefits and some of them we were, we were told we're supposed to get rid of the benefits, but didn't. So now uh, the analysis has been there's over 7 million able-bodied uh, males not working in America uh, that they could be working. And uh, a recent analysis of the combined benefits that is offered in various states, when you consider all federal and state benefits, uh, the state benefits really changed the game a lot. Uh, the highest state is the Washington state. A couple of two can get $127,000 a year um, to sit on the couch and be unemployed. Uh, Massachusetts is up there at 124. Uh, the lowest state was Montana at 54,000, which is still a big number. So if we continue to offer these kinds of unemployment benefits to folks, um, it's going to be hard to get our job markets completely fully uh, engaged like they should. Uh, I don't think the whole point of unemployment benefits was to you know, keep people from working. They were to give you a bridge to another job um, while you're an able-bodied person. Uh, but some of the benefits have gotten you know, perhaps a little carried away. And they're creating a disincentive for people to work. So those 7 million uh, folks that are sitting at home uh, and working, getting benefits, they're incented to do that because they're getting a good paycheck. So if, if you're comfortable living on 127000 you could go to the state of Washington and get some really nice benefits, right? But that's certainly going to hurt long term. So um, anyway, and then we also saw the, the Philly Fed came out recently, and they identified that the household survey... And the Bureau of Labor Statistics job numbers are diverging. They've been diverging since last spring. And there's an almost a million job gap between the two. And so the Bureau of Labor Statistics is direct, coming directly from the government, where the household survey is not. So it turns out now that the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers are wrong, and they're starting to admit that. Um, now, the question is, why were they wrong? Was it because it was an election year? Was somebody spiking the number? And we don't know. Uh, but there's all kinds of speculation as to why those numbers are so far off. Because usually they'll be off a little bit a month or two, and then they'll converge back and, and they get back in line. But this year it didn't happen. Uh, so, you know, certainly, um, you know, you can kind of speculate as to why that number is wrong, but clearly it, it has been wrong. Um, and then you mentioned the tech layoffs, Chris, there's, they're, they're everywhere, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, more and more and we're seeing each week, I would say, a new tech companies, you know, announcing the layoffs and, you know, I, you know, there's speculation. I mean, as far as a lot of the CEOs came out and said they over 
overestimated what growth would be, which I'm sure plays into it. But you know, I think a lot of them also leverage these tech layoffs to just you know let go um, low performers. Um, you know, people in the companies that you know they they hire quickly, they hire a mass amount of people, and then um, you know when they have to lay off this amount, they they cut the low performers and and trim the fat, if you will. So. Uh, it'll be interesting, but um, I know in some companies, tech companies especially, uh, we're seeing a second round potentially of even layoffs. So uh, it seems to just be kind of consistently driving itself forward. Well, that's also filtering into spending, of course. Personal consumption was down 6%. Uh, so people are spending less. And the, the, the kind of the most striking thing I saw was car sales are down 8% for the year of 2022. Now, we all remember in the summer of 2020 and then coming into 2021, um, people were you know, couldn't even find a car. They didn't have cars on the lots. Um, you'd have to pay over sticker price. Um, I remember going to lease a vehicle and they had one vehicle that I could pick instead of dozens and dozens like they normally do. So uh, now car sales are down in 2022 and certain companies took it particularly bad. Nissan was down 25%. Honda was down 33%, which is really terrible. Um, General Motors showed a big increase though, however, or at least a, a small increase. Um, and they overtook, as you mentioned, Chris, they overtook Toyota again as the largest car seller. Um, the zero financing deals are gone and the average payment for a car is over $700 a month. And the average interest rate is over 6%. So those zero interest rate deals are gone. Now inflation and raw materials we're causing lots of problems, but now um, all those numbers are starting to, to mitigate as we come into the recession period. Uh, we're also seeing an increase in uh, chip inventories and anyone who's uh, following along, um, cars are really computers these days. So a lot of computer chips and other things that electronics in a car. So um, all those chip inventories are going up. So that should also ease pricing, so. Yep, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be, um... You know, we're going to have obviously higher car payments for interest rates, I guess, on the car payments. But most likely, and I think it's the, the positive aspect of it is we're seeing that um, decluttering of the supply chain uh, for the auto manufacturers. So um, most likely they'll be able to, to drop those car prices down significantly. Uh, so we'll just see lower price cars, higher, higher interest rates on them. And similar to probably what we're going to see in the housing market, uh, just kind of a um, you know, a, a come back to normal, if you will, from these astronomical prices a couple of years ago uh, for, for used cars and even new cars. Yes. Well, and, and we've seen now that various states are having different experiences with population changes where, where people are leaving states with high taxes. Some people are calling it political blue and red states, but it's really much more about policy. I remember a meeting I was in a, a, a year ago with Senator Rick Scott, who is uh, the former governor of Florida. And um, you know, Senator Scott talked about how when he became governor of Florida, that they had as many problems as some of the blue states now, like Illinois and California. Debt was high, taxes were high, and they had to make some changes. And once they turned it around, now you see the, the current governor, Ron DeSantis, continuing that, that growth. And now Florida is an amazing growth miracle. So any of the states that are experiencing you know, high taxes, high regulation, seeing population leaving, that's what people do. They could turn around with proper policies. So we're hoping that going forward that we get better leaders that come up with better policies for the states so the states don't keep losing population. Um, 
the, you know, they talk about, you know, again, blue states, the red states and all that. It's really more high tax to low tax. And if there's correlation to political party, then so be it. But it's really much more about policy than it is about politics, really. Um, and then also kind of examining, examining whether um, demand side economics or supply side economics can solve some of the some of the issues. You know, demand side, it's really hard to tell what's going to happen when when we initiate demand side activity, but we certainly can control the supply side. So if we control the supply, then it's easier to manage the economy better. So Chris, what do we see out there for, for next year? You said GM took over Toyota as number one? Yep, yeah, so um, you know, GM uh, retook the title of America's top car seller, and that was last year, Toyota, for the first time ever actually jumped GM um, as the best selling American car seller, um, which was the first time that we had a non-American car manufacturer as the best seller, which was kind of interesting. But uh, coming into Q1 though, Bed Bath & Beyond is exploring bankruptcy. Um, so many of you probably know the, the popular retailer Bed Bath & Beyond. They've been struggling very uh, mightily. In Q3, their sales are expected to fall by nearly a third. Um, and they're looking at potentially filing for bankruptcy kind of coming into Q1. Uh, so Tesla coming into towards the end of 2022 uh, had trouble delivering cars. Their December deliveries dropped by 20% from a year earlier. Um, this came as China decided to end its more than a decade long subsidy for electric vehicles. So uh, China ended their subsidy and, and with that, their cars got more expensive. And so uh, they've had trouble uh, delivering and, and getting orders there. I would say on the flip side of that, from what I've seen uh, coming into 2023, uh, they've been able to lower prices to get rid of the inventory. So we've seen major lines in demand uh, as prices have lowered for Tesla. Uh, towards the end of 2022 for the holiday season, Southwest had a major meltdown. They canceled over 16,700 flights from December 21st to December 31st or the holiday season early, uh, and that wiped out its anticipated fourth quarter profit. So um, they're in a lot of hot water. A lot of people are not happy. I know personally, my sister, uh, they were supposed to go to San Diego and then Disneyland uh, over the holiday season, and they got stuck in Denver, Colorado, um, were unable to make it to Disneyland. So they lost a lot of money on that. Uh, so I know they're not alone. There's a lot of travelers that, that had major issues. So um, Southwest is, I know, rolling out several compensation packages, things like that. It'll be interesting in Q1 uh, to, to see what they do. Uh, towards the end, on the Ukraine front, Putin called for a 36-hour ceasefire over the Orthodox Christmas. Uh, Ukraine spurned that offer. Um, they just said, you know, they didn't see that as in good faith, especially with everything going on. In Brazil, um, you know, everyone kind of coins the phrase Banana Republic. Well, really saw that in full force as about 1,500, more than 1,500 supporters of the former president, uh, Bolsonaro, you can say it, uh, were detained for participating in the riots that um, targeted Congress, uh, the Royal Palace there, and other government buildings. So uh, they had a storming uh, due to their perception that, uh, you know, the elections were rigged. Probably potentially right. Like I said, that usually goes side and side with the Banana Republic, uh, and Brazil is known for corruption. But um, so we have kind of a lot of uproar there, a lot of volatility. 
Uh, and then the final thing I will note is coming into 2023, uh, Chinese citizens are now flocking to renew their passports as China has dropped several of their border controls uh, put in place during COVID uh, to help uh, kind of keep the, the virus contained and, and out of China. So uh, it'll be interesting. And, and I think talking about supply and demand um, with that, what will the, you know, if we're going to see a large traveling, a large amount of uh, Chinese citizens traveling, uh, coming into 2023, uh, that could, you know, provide a big boon for the global economy as far as spending, as far as potentially oil prices, if we're seeing more flights, things like that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting things coming in 2023. It really is. <clears throat> so then the dollar is hitting a seven-month low as well. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, U.S. dollar index touched a seven-month low of 102.93 uh, earlier this week. So, um you know, that's positive, and most of that is off of um, speculation that the Fed will not be raising interest rates more, will be more moderate in their interest rate rises, if, if they do any at all. Uh, but that's been really mixed. I know uh, Jamie Diamond, uh, the Chase, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase uh, CEO, came out and said that he thinks that's misguided, that they're going to have to raise interest rates more, uh, closer to a 6% mark. Um, which is much more aggressive than what the market's uh, pricing in. So what the Federal Reserve decides to do um, will play a large part. And, you know, and not only that, the dollar strength, but also how the markets do, and especially in the first quarter. It's going to be volatile um, as people speculate and as the actual numbers come out. Well, so last year also, um, a, a kind of a troubling trend, uh, we saw a tax return of an individual citizen uh, released by a federal by a federal uh, congressional committee. Now it's a precedent that that's never been never happened before in America, um, and con you know Congress I think probably crossed the line here. Uh, that individual happened to be the previous president, President Trump. Now there's politics involved in this, of course. Um, you know most presidential candidates release their tax returns, but they're not required to, and President Trump didn't. And of course, there's been people for years trying to go after President Trump and try to defeat him in the election, and they were successful. Um, but now, you know, releasing tax returns, um, the the or the group that did it might come to regret it because then the new Congress might turn around and start releasing their tax returns. So this is really not a good sign. Supreme Court, however, looked at it and said that Congress can decide that there's a legislative need, which was their excuse. So the Supreme Court did not intervene and say you can't release them. So Congress can actually do that, but what a what a not a very good trend for liberty and for for for, for privacy for sure. And you know there's been a lot of talk about political courts and everything, and we're seeing people who like certain rulings but don't like others, and so they bash the court when the court does something they they don't like, and then they say the court's good when they do. But you know the court's really not there to be partisan or or take someone's view, they're there to execute the, uh, the Constitution um, and interpret the Constitution, and that's what they're there to do. So, um, you know, it, it'd be good if we could all kind of get back to remembering that's what it's all about. Um, for 2023, we expect, Chris, to see a lot more climate change politics. Now, interestingly enough, our friend Jeff Carter from Points and Figures, um, and you can get on his blog on Substack, uh, pointed out that you know, the whole cryptocurrency world can go bust. We've seen this whole situation with Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX, um, but most of it has been private money. So it doesn't have a lot of 
effect on government, doesn't have a lot of effect on taxes. It's certainly like a Madoff scandal, for example, is just another big, big, huge scandal. And a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money, but it doesn't really affect government. Climate change, however, is all government money because they use government to go after um, you know, different issues in the climate change world. And the ir- irony of the whole thing is that the major oil companies are the largest developers of alternative energy, but they barely get noticed because their base is fossil fuel and they're trying to get rid of fossil fuel. At least there's a crowd that are trying to do that. Now, we've seen what happens when we go too fast. In Europe, we're seeing just incredible prices for energy. Fortunately, Europe is having a bit of a mild winter right now so far. Let's hope it stays that way. But there's going to be large numbers of people living in shelters and in high schools overnight because they can't afford their energy. We've also seen this in the state of Hawaii. Hawaii went so far at electric energy and alternative forms of energy that they do not have enough energy out there and the prices are going up. Uh, to service their people. So we moved perhaps too fast. And so prices are going up. Everybody wants clean energy. Everybody wants to keep the environment safe and sound. So that might lead us to change from fossil fuels, but the rate of doing it is really the issue. And so I think we figured out how to do it wrong. We figured out how to go too fast. Um, So we'll see a lot more about climate change this year, Chris. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think that and I, the hydrogen story too could play a major impact. It still has a ways to go. Um, yes. uh, or uh, hydrogen infusion, I should say. The fusion, I think, is the bigger, bigger one. But um, you know, fusion—that fusion reaction that we talked about, I believe, on the last podcast. Um, now, that's a great example of a sustainable energy source that could be a huge driver of clean energy moving forward. And you know, if that turns out to be true. I, mean, I don't think anyone's against clean energy. I think everyone's for clean energy, but we just need it in a realistic time frame and to have an actual plan. Yes. The, the, you know, the continuing energy by that, by that uh, experiment, if they're able to make that as a commercial uh, enterprise, it's cheaper, it's cleaner. It would solve a lot of the other issues. And this whole debate over all these different types of energy could, could be solved right there just by that one issue. So that's really, that's a really exciting development. Um, also, uh, this first week of the year, as we start the week of the year, we see Congress finally decided on Kevin McCarthy as the speaker. Now, um, in, in I think over 100 years, we've never had a situation where it took more than one vote. Everyone knew who was going to be the speaker and the whole party came alongside. <clears throat> but the uh, majority was thin. And so the Republicans had some battles and, and it was actually a healthy process. It took 15 votes, that, but they finally... Uh, got Kevin McCarthy in as speaker. And then their first bill was to repeal the 87,000 IRS agents that the previous Congress had voted in uh, because they felt it was basically to attack the people. And so most people have been honest about their taxes. And certainly if you're not, you'll get a letter from the federal government because they can track everything now. Uh, They're very, very good at it. But um, that was their first thing. And, you know, I think it'll be a healthy, uh, healthy thing that all the procedural things that were taken away by previous Congress. Now bills have to be on the floor for 72 hours. People get to read the bill before they actually vote for it. So they're creating a lot of new rules to get the House back to the way it used to be run, which is very, very healthy. So we're looking forward to great things from the new Congress. And uh, so, so a lot of exciting things for the year, Chris. Hopefully the recession isn't too bad. And maybe uh, the recession bottoms here soon. The markets will bottom. 
they if they aren't already now, hopefully they'll bottom soon, and then we go off to a good year and, and rebuild our economy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, hopefully there's. 2023, we're hopeful, will be a better year um, than 2022 for the markets. But, uh, you know, we'll just see. I think it'll be a volatile first half at least. But hopefully, like you said, Brian, uh, we start to see some positive, um, you know, more positive, I should say, outcomes uh, towards the tail end. Exactly. Well, and, and that, that's all we have for the, the stated comments. I just want to remind everybody, uh, in the Four Star Wealth site, there are a number of blog sites. So a number of our advisors are always blogging with interesting ideas on investing in different subjects. Um, in the leadership matrix, we had a number of posts here recently. Uh, the, well, we had one about shooting for the, the moon and reaching for the stars in 2023. Um, and we have a couple of other really interesting things coming out. So watch the blog posting on the Four Star website. We also had some podcast interviews that were quite interesting. Uh, Michael Friedman of Lighthouse Life uh, discussed life settlements as an investment category. And I thought that was very interesting. So folks might enjoy that. And then also Michael Kading, the CEO of Norhart, which is a real estate developer up in Minneapolis, talked about a new real estate development model uh, that has lower costs, much lower costs than the traditional um, general and subcontractor model. And so um, he believes that that'll help them sustain themselves through a real estate downturn. And guess what? We're going into a real estate downturn, so we're going to see whether that model works or not. But uh, you can hear Michael Kading talk about it uh, as we, as we, uh, you know, as as you listen to that uh, that interview. So um, I think that's all we have today, Chris. Yeah, sounds good. Well, great. Well, though, for the whole four star team, which is Laura, Chris, Christine, Fred, Jack, Kamal, and Jonathan in Chicago, and our East Coast team, Tucker, Karen, and Brian. Thanks, everybody, for being with us on the Four Star Podcast. And today's Mark Blaine. Uh, we'll be back with another episode very, very soon. Welcome to 2023. We're going to Antarctica, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, a great year. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you heard something here that someone else you know will find value from, please share the episode directly with them. Want us to answer your investing question directly on the next episode? Go to todaysmarketexplained.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and submit your question. Please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep on growing out there, everyone.